Thank you. Just a few announcements, and then I'm going to have uh, Carl come and give an announcement from the deacons and elders. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, our annual meeting that's uh, coming up uh, two weeks from Thursday, um, this November 9th, uh, here uh, at 7 p.m. that Thursday evening. Let me read you the official notice. Um, as uh, we want to make sure that we're doing everything proper and in order. But uh, before I get into the, the specific language used here, uh, let me just encourage you. This is a family meeting. This is, this is one of the times that we need everyone who's a part of First Congregational Church of Woodstock to come. And this is our annual meeting where we take care of all the, the church business that we need to for the year. All right, so here's the official notice. The members of First Congregational Church of Woodstock, Vermont, Inc. are called to meet on Thursday, November 9th, 2023 at 7 p.m. to conduct the following business. Number one, to vote on a motion to suspend the bylaw required term break for 2023 for Carrie uh, Bristow, uh, who will be serving a second term, I'm sorry, I messed that up, for Carrie, whose second three-year term on the Woodstock Christian Child Care Board and extend it by one year, concluding 2024. Number two, to vote on the nominating slate as proposed by the nominating committee. And you'll find that slate there in your order of worship, and it's also posted uh, back here in, uh, in the um, uh, billings room. Number three, to review and vote on the 2024 budgets, including the normal operating budget and major expense budget as proposed by the Board of Deacons, and to review the Woodstock Christian Child Care budget as proposed by the WCCC Board and approved by the Board of Deacons. Number four, to vote and approve the minutes of the November 10th, 2022 annual congregational meeting. Number five, to address any other business that is properly be brought before the membership. And number six, to join in a closing prayer. So again, that's our annual meeting coming up on November 9th at 7 p.m. here at the church. A couple other things I want to make sure that you're aware of. One, you'll find um, uh, flyers like this in, in the back for the food drive. This is a, a wonderful way of just like our, our missionaries uh, of providing care uh, with the, the name of Jesus. And so we'd encourage you to come and be a part of that, to invite uh, friends and neighbors uh, to come and be a part of that. Um, and oftentimes folks will say, well, gosh, it, it seems a little bit weird for me to ask my neighbors who don't come to church here to, to give food in the church's food drive. It's not weird at all. In fact, God's people all throughout the scriptures, time and time again, invite their neighbors to participate in what God is doing. And so this is, this is and, and not only that, but they're, na they're neighbors too. And so it's not a weird thing to ask other neighbors to help care for our mutual neighbors. And so I just encourage you uh, to do that. You might be surprised at the conversations that God gives you as a result. Uh, other upcoming things, we've got the, the traditional Thanksgiving meal here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, and then don't forget that next week is daylight savings time. So you want to make sure to, uh, what are we doing? We're falling back. Uh, so uh, it all gets us out of whack anyway. But Carl, come and share with us, please. Have you ever felt totally prepared to give an announcement and then got totally undone just before you're ready to give the announcement? I had a little, you know, they, they talk about speeches and the first thing you should have is just make a little, you know, joke or something. I can't do that joke because we just talked about the, 
the global crisis, the conflicts that are going on in the Middle East. And I can't think of anything funny at this particular point. But I do want to zero in on our church. We've, we've just talked globally, and I wanted to zero in on our church. And it's not the big C of conflict. There's nobody coming in here shooting at us, and we're not shooting at each other. But we're just not really good at talking things out with each other. And the deacons and elders have come to realize this. And so we just want you to know that we are not hopeless or helpless through this. And we have engaged with a group called New Peace Network, and I just want to read a little something from them. And we'll get into the meat of the announcement in a second. We all experience conflict, and maybe in our homes, with other family members, at work, in our neighborhoods, or here at church. Too often, even Christians respond to conflicts in ways that prolong the dispute and increase the hurt. The Bible, however, offers us distinctly effective ways to respond to conflict in a manner that glorifies God and reduces the negative effects of disagreements. So here's the challenge. David and Judy uh, Glidden, who are the, the presenters, and they're part of the New Peace Network, um, they will present a one-and-a-half-day seminar. Here we go. Friday, November 17th, and Saturday, November 18th. And for those of you keeping score here, yes, November 19th is our Thanksgiving dinner. So the challenge here is really two and a half days spent with your brothers and sisters in Christ, learning how better to glorify God in our ways and how we deal with each other. And you know, I can't really think of a better way to lead up to our Thanksgiving meal than getting together and preparing our hearts in this manner. So, I guarantee you will be well-fed both spirit and bodily. We're working on that. No, I don't have details. I have lots of ideas, but no details on the, on the food side of things. Um, we have a sign-up sheet um, there. You'll notice there's no, no dollars there. Or the sign-up, we recognize that, gosh, you know, it's only a couple of weeks away, and we're asking you to clear your calendars in a busy season. And we understand that, and we do sincerely apologize for that. But please do sign up as soon as possible. We do have to order the supplies as soon as possible. And we thank you very much. Amen. So let me just encourage you uh, to clear your schedule. I, I know that, that we have lots of other things going on, but it really is important for us as a family uh, to gather uh, that weekend uh, and participate together. So take a few moments now and let's prepare our hearts to worship God. Let's stand together for the call to worship.
hear God's holy and errant word. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we thank you and praise you that your steadfast love does indeed last and endure forever. We praise you and ask that you would make us far more aware of that steadfast love, that you would work in and through our hearts to more and more love you and to love one another. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's join in singing together hymn number 167, When Morning Gilds the Skies.
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. In the strength of this assurance, let us confess our sins to God. Please pray with me this prayer that is in bold in your order of worship. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sin. Forgive us our frivolous attitude toward life, our callousness toward suffering, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure, our indifference to the treasures of heaven, our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good, love what you love, and do what you command through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Please take a few moments now and pray silently to the Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Praise be to Christ. So now as we pray for one another and pray for our neighbors and for our community, I'll be leading our prayer from up here, but we ask that you all join in praying along, agreeing with these prayers, adding your amen to them. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this incredible privilege that you have given to us as your people to call upon your name. Lord, we've, we've seen as we've been looking at your 10 words that we're not to take your name in vain. And how... How can we possibly avoid doing that when our very lips that we use to call your name are filthy in the way in which we have misled and lied and spoken falsehoods and refused to speak of you to people that you place in our lives? Lord, we we have no ability to call upon you and expect anything other than wrath except that you, Lord Christ, 
have gone to the cross to purify us. That is the the angel flew to Isaiah and brought a burning coal to his lips because he was a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. That sign or showing of a token of the, the burning to purify necessary, Lord Christ, you have personally received the wrath that we deserve so that not only our lips but our whole bodies might be made clean. And Lord, as we will look later this morning at your command for us to be faithful and true and chaste and pure with our bodies and our minds and our eyes, Lord, we likewise are incapable. And yet you, Lord Christ, the Lord of the resurrection, give us that resurrection life through the power of your Holy Spirit that we might live and think and speak and act differently. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us in this. Purify us. Work in us, Lord, we pray, to honor you in all that we do, say, and think. Lord, we bring this need to you, for only you can change us. And Lord, we do pray, Father, for those at this moment who are experiencing the horror of war. And Father, we, we know that you have promised to end all wars, to provide the peace that only you can provide. So we pray, Lord, that you would allow a taste of that to be evident here and now, that you would provide peacemakers and others who would be able to lead to resolution, to political solutions that are not going to solve everything, but that could be an indicator of what you will do, Lord Christ, when you come again. On that day when there will be no more fighting, because all will be bowing before you. Lord, we pray, hasten that day, for it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. This time the deacons and ushers will come and receive, will receive the offering. Thank you.
Lord Christ, we do praise you that this is your church, and we ask that you would use these gifts and tithes and offerings in furthering the glorification of your name here in Woodstock, throughout the whole Upper Valley, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You'll find in your order of worship the insert with words and music for the gospel song, and let's stand together as we sing that. standing for the reading of God's word. This from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 1 to 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank him for it. Let's sing together hymn number 529. 529.
Thank you. You may be seated. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. What a, what a beautiful picture of what is to come. Let's turn uh, in God's word together to Exodus chapter 20. In your pew Bible, you'll find this starting at page 61, Exodus chapter 20. We have been walking our way through these ten words or commandments of God that he's given specifically to his people in defining for us what it means to live in his kingdom as Israel prepares to go into the promised land and for us as we seek to be his ambassadors wherever he places us throughout the globe. So Exodus chapter 20, I'll read for us verses 1 to 21. Hear now God's holy inerrant word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may, the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself, that you have not only spoken to us as your people through your prophets, but you have also spoken directly. That you have been very clear 
that you alone are the one to rescue your people and that we cannot save ourselves. And then you have also been equally clear on what you expect of us. Those who have been saved, those who are redeemed, those who have been adopted in your family, that you have been very clear as to how we are to live now in the joy of our salvation. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us powerfully, changing us, transforming us, putting to death the sin that we coddle and keep. Help us instead to put that sin to death, to live in the power of your spirit as becomes your holy people. For we ask all of this, Lord Christ, in your resurrected name. Amen. We're looking particularly this morning at verse 14. We read the whole of the context, but let me read again this one verse that we're looking at this morning. Exodus 20, chapter, or verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. It's very plain in what God says. And, and yet sometimes we, we have a difficulty understanding what he says. Remember the, the child who, hearing this commandment and the other nine commandments in Sunday school, said, well, I don't know about the others, but this one has adult in it, so that, that doesn't apply to me. Right? Maybe you've, you've kind of thought the same thing. I've, I've found in, in ministry with college students, this, is, this has got to be the most popular thing in the whole scripture. Maybe not. And so a lot of times I get asked, Pastor, why do you spend so much time, so much energy talking about sex? Like, do you have a sex hang-up or something? What's, what? and, and a lot of our neighbors, that's, that's what they think. It's like, what? And yet, when you look at it from the Bible, sex makes God's top ten. Of, of all the things that he's going to emphasize of what it means for us to live as his people, sex is in this top ten list. Or perhaps we might need to listen again to Martin Luther, the German reformer, who I believe said something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said, if we get every part of the gospel right, except the pernicious sin that our particular time and place misses, then we've been faithless to the whole of the gospel. And our culture is sex-crazed. It's everywhere. And so it's very important for us as God's people not only to live chaste lives, but to understand God's view of sex and for us to practice that but also to cultivate it to nurture that and so we're going to look particularly we, as we've seen in Westminster Confession uh, larger catechism you know 
All of these commandments are so broad. I mean, they just cover so much. And let me encourage you to continue the practice, or if you haven't started it yet, you can still jump on with the Taking Gathered Worship Home to, to look at these things and, and to see that for every commandment, there are things that God is requiring. This is what God requires of us, that we would be sexually pure, as well as things that he prohibits. He prohibits our misuse of sex because he says it's his gift to us. And so we don't have the right to use it any which way that we want. So in your notes, you'll find these three points. First, that God has given us marriage as a good gift. Second, that God has established marriage, it, as the sole context for sexual intimacy. And third, that Christ has redeemed us from our whoredom, our horrific misuse of his good gift of sex and marriage. So let's look at each one of these in turn. First, that God has given us marriage as a good gift. And this, I think, is one of the things that, that people are trying to express when they get frustrated with, with the church talking about sex in that so often, unfortunately, the emphasis is on all the negative. It's on all the prohibition side of things and not really looking at what God requires or what God has gifted us to, to have in marriage and sex. And, and to a large measure, they're right. Because not only on this commandment, but every one of these commandments, the church has failed. The church has gotten it wrong. The, the church has at times preached these things poorly and lived them even worse. And so let me just say that you may be here this morning and you're single. And you say, okay, another thing about marriage and say, could we, could we just not? Or maybe you're widowed. Right? I remember my sweet Nana that we've just prayed about. Uh, one, one of the times uh, that she was coming to church uh, with us, and I had preached on this, and, and she was like, oh, pff, honey, I'm widowed. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, no, it, it still does. And so for us to understand this rightly, what is it that God has given us? What, what is this gift? What, you know, what what does the scripture actually say? And, and for a lot of folks who've never heard the positive side, it's startling that God has given us an entire book in the scripture on, on marital love, on marital sex. The, the Song of Solomon is, is an entire book delighting in, singing the praises of, rejoicing in the wonder of sex, that it's God's idea. Listen for just a moment to how God himself talks about sex. This is from Proverbs chapter 5. And it's, it's metaphorical or symbolic language, but I think you'll, you'll get the drift. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. 
be intoxicated always in her love. That, that's what you think of God's view about sex, right? You, you think that God is, is the one telling us, be intoxicated always in her love. Yeah, oh yeah. We heard a sermon about that just, just the other day, right? No, that, that's not usually how we think of God. But, but sex is God's idea. I mean, he could, have, he could have designed reproduction with a whole lot less mess and a whole lot less difficulty. But the God who has painted every flower, every bit of the wonder of fall color, the incredibleness of last night's moon, has designed sex as something, yes, to provide for reproduction, but also for the enjoyment, for the encouragement, for the comfort of a husband and wife to enjoy together. And so, particularly in a time and a culture where sex is everywhere, it's so critical for us to understand God's design. So we might look at places like 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there, God talks about sexuality as, as this gift, and he also talks about our bodies. Did you hear that earlier? We, we read um, in, the, in the scripture passage, which was that 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Sorry, it's been so crazy. I had to actually look and make sure that I was saying what was actually there. But, but in 1 Corinthians, it uses this language that may have made some of you even here cringe. Right? When, when God says... For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Close the book. That, that's all I need, right? No, what, what's the rest, right? He, he says that is true, but that comes right after the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. And then is followed by the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See, again, this has been misused, misapplied, used as a two-by-four to beat people up with, rather than the wonder of the gift that it is. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your body doesn't belong to you. And that's, that should be a reason for us to greatly rejoice. First and foremost, our body doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord, first and foremost. It's his. How dare we use the bodies that he has given us to defy him? He says, it's mine. And that in marriage, as God's good gift, God unites two into one. And so there shouldn't be in a, in a biblical marriage any of this, well, that's mine and this is yours. It doesn't exist. You belong to one another. You are not your own. And even more so, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus, he says, you've been bought with a price. You are doubly the Lord's. You're the Lord's because he created you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are his because he's died for you. 
And so we need to understand this whole idea of my body as, as my own domain and, 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 and those who say, oh, well, you've got to have you got to have acceptance. You've got to have, you know, permission, right? And, there, and that, that's a huge thing right now for good reason because people are raping other people and claiming for theirs what is not theirs. But to understand that the world's counter to that is as long as both agree, as long as you have consent, you're good. There are all kinds of classes in school, right, of walking through what consent means. And... Please hear me. Those are important things as far as they go, but the problem is, is that they go too far. Yes, it, it should be not even something that you need to think about, that, that you've got to have consent from the person you're having sex with. But you're not the boss of you, and they're not the boss of them. And just because you have consent does not make sex okay. And again, this is not because the Bible is prudish. Remember? Be intoxicated always in her love. God not only dreamed up and designed sex, but, but he actually thinks it's worthy of poetry. It's like, yes, that's wonderful. And, and this is often difficult for Christian couples. In premarital counseling, in terms of talking about sex, and how, you know, there's so much that's like, sex, what, what's the Christian response? No. Right? Just say no, right? Well, but the problem is, is you go from no to yes, you know, in, in your honeymoon. And, and you know, that can, that can be a little bit of, of whiplash. Again, we need to teach our children and ourselves not just that, we need to say no if it's not our husband or wife. But why? And, and what it is that's the good gift that, that we ought to be thinking about and giving God praise for in all of these things. God is the only one with the authority as both designer and creator to regulate how sex is enjoyed. He's the one who gives us the spouse with which to enjoy it or does not. And we need to recognize that singleness is also a gift of the Lord. And that it needs to not be, you know, like those awkward Christmases when, when the kids are looking at comparing gifts. Well, why'd they get that? And what? No, we ought to rejoice in brothers and sisters receiving the gifts that they've received from God and us being grateful for the gifts that we've received from God. And so, as we see with, with all of these commandments, there's both the prohibition, what we're not supposed to do, and the requirement of what we are supposed to do. That God is the one who sets the parameters. And not only is he given sex as a good gift, and marriage as the context to enjoy it, he's also established marriage as the sole and only context for sexual intimacy. I think one of the most powerful word pictures that I ever heard on this was a wise elder who sat with a couple struggling with these issues. And they had, you know, a good Vermont wood stove uh, in, in a particularly, you know, cold fall or, or winter day. 
and the and the the stove had this wonderful fire blazing uh, away in there and it's like oh that that fire is amazing that's just great i mean the the fire is is practical it provides heat right but it's also beautiful it's it, have you ever just sat alone in a dark room with the with the fire going and the 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 light bouncing off all the all the it's just beautiful now that same fire that is good and beautiful i mean you can even cook on it it's there are all kinds of things that you can do and benefit from but if you take that same good fire and open the wood stove door and take the tongs out and grab one of those burning logs and throw it on the couch same fire right look how good and beautiful and useful that is not anymore that'll burn the house down God has given us this wonder of sex to be enjoyed within the bounds that he has set. And, it, and there it is a blessing. But anywhere and everywhere else, it is destructive. This has always been God's warning. Sin will destroy you. And on things that we like, his rules on, we go, yes, preach it, that's, that's right. But on the ones that we don't, well, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's a little bit harsh. No, it's the same God who's always good, who's protecting us from the ravages of sin. God has uniquely established marriage as not only a place for sexual intimacy, but as a picture of God's relationship with his church. Again and again, God uses the imagery of marriage and the exclusivity that is to be enjoyed within marriage to mirror the, the first part of the law that we looked at in terms of his exclusivity with us and our exclusivity with him. That not only are we to have no other gods before him, but we're also to not make any idols. And so he uses this image all throughout the scripture to, to talk about the horror of our worshiping other things instead of him by putting that in a context that we can understand. Right? We, don't, we don't know what it's like to be the only one and living God and then to have others commit adul adultery. Right? That, that, that's not something that we experience. But... But whether we've experienced it or not, we all know what a terrible thing it is if the one that we love is, is unfaithful and, and loves somebody else. That, that's just awful. And so, again, God's given us a whole book about the beauty and wonder of marital sex. He's also given us a whole book, Hosea, to, to help us to better understand this relationship between idolatry and adultery. In Taking Gathered Worship Home, I've got you this week reading through, hopefully, the whole book of Hosea. So I've, I've broken it up, you know, to have you, have you read through it. Let me also just mention that in terms of the Taking Gathered Worship Home. Oftentimes, I'm trying to do multiple things in terms of the scriptures that I have you read on a given day. And sometimes those scriptures work together on a particular thing. But other times, like this whole series, I'm having you read through 
Psalm 119. Psalm, psalm 119 is a long psalm, right? It's, it's a, it's a um, poem that has, a ver, has verses for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the whole thing is on the commands, the law of God. And so in, in that, I'm wanting us to, to see how the psalmist delights in the law, the precepts, the commands of God. And, and so each week I've got you reading two of those 22 stanzas about the, the law of God. So anyway, back to what I was talking about here. God has given us in Hosea a picture, a, a graphic picture, a horrendous picture, in that he calls his prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute, a harlot, a whore. And to love her and to have children with her. And, and he says right from the beginning and all through that I'm having you do this so that Israel will see what they are doing to me. That, that my people play the role of the whore. And, and as you see this unfolding in Hosea, it's not the case where Hosea and his wife you know, have, have some bumps in their marriage and she goes out and, and sleeps with some people. But the, the image is of her chasing after other suitors, chasing after other lovers, of, of giving herself to others under every tree in the area. I mean, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. But part of what that helps us to see is that our view of sin that's so tepid, right? Our, our view of sin, oh, I, I, oopsie, I did a boo-boo, right? Bad, don't do that. Okay, love Jesus more. That's an anemic view of sin. It will not lead to the righteous living that God has called us to. No, the, the word of God is a mirror held up to our dumpster fire of a life, revealing to us the horror of what we are engaged in in a rebellion against God. And Hosea, wow, really magnifies that. And, and we need to deal with it honestly. And, and if you're thinking well, but pastor, I've, I've been faithful to my spouse, you know, for 50 years now. Stop. Listen to God's word. See that the only reason that you're faithful to your spouse is by God's grace. And, and thank him for that constantly rather than using that as a way of puffing up your self-righteousness. Just go through the Westminster Larger Catechism and see all of what God requires in this and prohibits in this. And if you go through that list and go, well, nope, nope, haven't done, nope, nope, okay, I'm good. Fall on your knees and your face because you're not seeing yourself accurately. Some have, have what I've spoken before and used the term that the Bible uses of our whoredom 
that, that we are the whores. Oh, that, that's too strong. It, it, you'll turn people off. Probably. Unless the Holy Spirit softens our hearts and helps us to see. No, that, that really is accurate. Because, again, we don't just sin. We're compulsive sinners. We need the things that we want, that we crave, that we go after. We're like the scripture says, a dog returning to its vomit. Why? Have you ever found yourself right on the heels of sin? You've given in. You've done the very thing that you know God would not have you to do. Or he's, he's provided an opportunity for you to faithfully obey him. And you haven't even taken a swing. You've just stepped off the mound, all to, out of the plate altogether. God has given us this gift and placed it within a specific context. Yes, for us to enjoy, but also for us to see that not only in this area, but in every area of life, we do not obey God as we should. And we desperately need Jesus. And that's the third point, that Christ has redeemed us out of our whoredom, out of our infidelity, out of our adulterous hearts. And so the difference that God intends for Christians versus non-Christians around us is not that we would be goody-two-shoes and not do anything wrong in this life because that, that's not going to happen on this life. That is the hope of our resurrected lives. The primary difference that the Lord is calling for us as his people is the difference of repentance. There's, there's none of this sin that is unforgivable. Jesus died for whores like you and me. And his blood is able to wash any stain away. Any sexual sin, any, any sin. And that's to give evidence in repentance. That, that we are to demonstrate that we have received the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ because of our delight in him and our willingness to confess our sin and to turn from it. I, I love the Sunday school hour, the, the missionaries describing their ministry and because we're, we're live streaming this, I won't get into the specifics of who they are or what they're doing, but the emphasis on the cross of Jesus. It, this whole text of Exodus chapter 20 is anticipating the cross of Jesus Christ. It's anticipating the need for a forgiveness that is everlasting and not just temporary. That's what we find in the book of Hebrews, right? Every year at, at the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in 
and, and another sacrifice, and another sacrifice, and another sacrifice. Because they've got the Ten Commandments. And, and it's not that the Jews were saved by their obedience to those commandments. We've already talked about that in the prologue. But as they're trying to live the Christian life, they didn't call it then, of course, the Christian life. They're trying to live the faithful Hebrew life. They're trying to follow their father Abraham in faithfulness. And like you and me, they kept stumbling and falling and struggling. And, and so the, the longing, the faith for and in a Messiah who would come and deliver them, that's, that's the characteristic of a faithful Hebrew. And likewise is the characteristic of a faithful Christian. Lord, I can't do this. You've given me the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to apply that. And so again, the, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is not just, okay, you know, keep it zipped and, and you're okay. But how do, I, how do I nurture? How do I encourage? How do I vivify, is what the old Puritans used to say, to give life to the things of God? and to put to death, to mortify the things of the flesh. I mean, that's so apt to adultery. It, it's not just that I want to, to keep my pants zipped. I want to not go to places and look at things that I shouldn't look at. I, I, don't, I, I need to have a covenant with my eyes to, to not linger over a, a, a woman walking by where, wherever I am. One of the, the things in campus ministry that was so difficult, to, particularly in today's world and particularly in campuses that are in the south where it's hot and many people have not many clothes on at all, right? And, and so a constant thing that I would have to say like a thousand times a day, you know, you're, you're just trying to walk down the, the sidewalk, right? And it's like, oh, oh, wait, you know, there's, there's, I'll just look at my feet, right? And... And constantly saying, I've got better at home. I've got far better at home. That, that was a way, not, again, don't legalize that particular application, but it was a way that God was working in and through me to remind me of these gospel truths. That God does give this as a good gift. And, and at that time in my life, he, I already knew that, that he had given me that gift in my wife. And, and so it was a way of, of reminding myself of the gospel. That God is good. That God has dealt with our sin. That Jesus Christ came because I'm a whore. Because left to my own, I will not pursue godly sexuality, but I'll pursue me and what pleases me and what I want. And so to be able to say, no, that's... That's not the way that God has made me. It's not the reason that he's pursued me. Because Jesus Christ did exactly that. He pursued us. Do you want to know the depths of your sin? Look at the cross. What, what happens on the cross? Does, does Jesus just say, oopsie, sorry. Father, forgive them. Okay. 
Now, what, what did Jesus have to do on the cross in order for us to be forgiven? He didn't go to timeout. He didn't just get lashed with a whip, although he was that. He was brutalized and murdered because sin requires death. It has always been that way. The, the deceiver continues to tell us, no, 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 it won't really kill you. Look at the cross. It killed Jesus, who became sin for us. Because he has died and risen from the dead, the Father has said, you're forgiven. All those who are in Christ are no longer whores. They're beloved sons and daughters. Made holy, perfect, wearing the righteousness of Christ. Now, you may be here thinking, but I've done a pretty good job with these Ten Commandments. And I, I think my chances are pretty good. I mean, God's a loving God. He'll, he'll give me credit, right? An A for effort. Don't you buy that lie. Yes, God is loving. God is good. And so we sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And he in his holy righteousness has said, to, in order to come to me, you've got to come through Christ. So don't wait another day. If you haven't already bowed your knee and confessed him as Lord and Savior, do it now. And if you've already done that, then as Paul says in the New Testament, why, if you've received from the Spirit, would you go back to the flesh and keep trying to gain God's approval? Do you want to keep God's commandment to not have adultery? To, to have the chastity and moral purity that we're supposed to have? Then trust in Christ. Follow his commands. Put sin to death and live in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. This is what God demands. And he's got every right to demand it. This is what God requires. And we will find that in obeying him, we find joy and delight and life instead of the death that di disobedience always brings. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for telling us what it means for your people to live as becomes children of the King. And so we pray that you would lead us, that you would make us far more faithful in our sexuality, far more able to enjoy the rich blessings that you have designed it for, far more able to delight in you, in waiting on you, in trusting in you. Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing 501, Just As I Am.
Beloved, have you come to him? Have you come to the Lord? Submitted your body. It's not mine. It's yours. Submitted your mind. It's not mine. It's yours. Submitted your tongue. Submitted all of you. Jesus is not only Savior, but he is and always will be Lord. Make no pretense at following him if you will not in faith obey him. Now receive the benediction of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Please be seated for just a moment. I want to thank you again for, from our whole family for your prayers for us. And uh, thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. We hope that you'll stay and enjoy some fellowship through this door uh, to the left of the Billings Room. We've got some refreshments, and we'd love to have a chance to talk with you more. Thanks so much. God bless. Thank you.